0: This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer, and welcome to episode 19 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Every so often in recent years, some government entity at the state or local level puts the Ten Commandments on display, usually in schoolrooms or courthouses. To most people, after all, it's the ultimate religious document, the only words God ever spoke directly to an entire people in all of human history. And they're the only words he wants us to live by, so they should always be on display, or so the thinking goes. The topic for this week, therefore, is The Ten Commandments and Why Everyone Got It Wrong. As for why I chose the Ten Commandments as this week's topic, it's because it's the central feature in the Torah reading for this Shabbat, the second weekly reading in the book of Deuteronomy, which is billed as Moses' farewell address to the Israelites. In Deuteronomy, Moses reviews the history of Israel's last 40 years since leaving Egypt, and then reviews some of the laws he's passed on to the Israelites and through them to us, during that time, including the Ten Commandments. But is the document we call the Ten Commandments really what people think it is? Or is it something else altogether? I won't hold you in suspense. It's something else altogether. It's an important document, don't get me wrong. It's just not the document everyone seems to think it is. At the heart of this question is a very serious problem, at least as I see it. When we read a biblical text especially a Torah text. We read its words as they were written, but we don't stop to analyze for ourselves what those words mean. Instead, we interpret those words the way we've been taught to interpret them, the way we've been conditioned to understand them. The Ten Commandments is an excellent example of this problem. Hopefully this podcast will change how we view the Ten Commandments. We'll look at what the text really says, and I hope we'll gain a better understanding about what really happened at Mount Sinai, and what really was said there by God. All that was said there by God. I'm going to do a lot of reading of texts, starting with an edited version of Exodus, beginning with chapter 19, where God makes his appearance on Mount Sinai through the next four chapters, to the moment Moses climbs Mount Sinai to receive God's law. I edited it down, not just to save time, but to maintain the narrative flow without being distracted by the at least 30 categories of law running through most of the narrative. As I read this text, don't just listen to the words. Try to follow the actions they describe and the chronology of it all in order to understand what exactly is being said here. Here goes. In the third month, when the people of Israel arrived at the wilderness of Sinai, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and be ready by the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the sound of a ram's horn exceedingly loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, warn the people not to break through to the Lord to gaze. And Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And while Moses was down below with the people, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, etc., And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain smoking, and they were shaken and stood far away. And they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but do not let God speak with us lest we die. And the people stood far away, and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was, and God said, And these are the laws which you shall set before them, etc., And when God was done speaking, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the laws. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he took the laws he recited to them, known collectively as the Book of the Covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and obey. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the Torah and commandments which I inscribed to instruct them. So Moses and his attendant Joshua arose, and Moses ascended the mountain of God. That's the edited text. Let's review what it tells us about what actually happened that day. God tells Moses he'll speak to the people on the third day. He begins with the words we know as the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't stop there. In Exodus, what he has to say is recorded in the next three chapters in which he sets out around 30 categories of law. Not 30 laws, 30 categories of law. But the people freak out at some point early on. They're afraid they're going to die if they keep listening to God speaking. They tell Moses to do the listening for them, and then report back to them what God said. Moses does just that. God keeps talking, but now... Only to Moses. In other words, the Ten Commandments were not the only words God spoke that day. They were just the beginning of what He had to say. The three chapters that follow are filled with laws in every single verse, and virtually all of them have no religious content. They're secular in nature. These are laws about how we're to behave to all people, how we need to care about the lower life forms and to the environment how we're to create a just, equitable society for all people, what our responsibilities are to the poor and marginal people in society. Those three chapters are, in essence, the constitution of the Israelite nation, the constitution of the Jewish people. The Torah calls these three chapters the Sefer Habrit, the Book of the Covenant. It was never true that God only spoke the Ten Commandments that day and nothing else. The Torah's text is clear on that. As for the so-called Ten Commandments, this document and what it contains were never meant to be a part of the laws God handed down that day. Rather, they were meant, and are still meant, as the preamble to the Israelite Constitution. They're not commandments. They're not laws. The Book of the Covenant, the Sefer Hambrit, provides those laws. With more laws following in the rest of the Torah. Just as the Constitution of the United States is the beginning of the laws of the United States, so the Book of the Covenant is just the beginning of the laws of God's kingdom of priests and holy nation. Just as the laws of the United States need to exist within the framework of the Constitution, so do the laws of God's kingdom of priests and holy nation need to exist within the framework of the Book of the Covenant, And just as the preamble to the Constitution sets the tone for that document, the preamble to the Constitution of God's kingdom of priests and holy nation sets the tone for what's to come. The Ten Commandments is that preamble. That's not what we've been told happened at Mount Sinai, but it is what the Torah says happened. So now we're going to explore the so-called Ten Commandments and their relationship to the Book of the Covenant. Okay, so why do I keep using the term so-called and referring to the Ten Commandments? And why do I keep saying they're not even commandments? It's because the Torah and the Judaism that developed from it know nothing about something called the Ten Commandments. In Hebrew, the word for commandment is mitzvah. When we say to someone, you're doing a mitzvah, what we're really saying is you're fulfilling one of God's commandments. The Ten Commandments then translates as Aseret HaMitzvot, the Ten Mitzvot. But you'll never find that term in the Torah, or the rest of the Tanakh, the Bible, or in the Talmud, or in any other rabbinic text, or even secular Hebrew texts. The term is used only in the vernacular, English, or French, or German, say. And that's only because everyone understands what the Ten Commandments is referring to, but few people would recognize its actual name. The Torah calls this document the Aseret Hadvarim. All subsequent texts refer to it as the Aseret Hadibrot. Both mean the same thing, the Ten Statements or the Ten Declarations, but definitely not the Ten Commandments, definitely not the Aseret HaMitzvot. That's because these aren't mitzvot in the ordinary sense. and weren't meant to be mitzvot commandments. Rather, they provide a sense of the commandments to come. That's what a preamble is supposed to do, and that's what this document, the Ten Statements, does. Let me read an edited version of the Ten, and then we'll discuss the document at some length. And by the way, even though I dislike calling it that, I'll continue to refer to the document as the Ten Commandments because that's what we're all used to hearing it called. God spoke all these words saying, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured or graven image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, unquote. That's the text. Now, with all due apologies to Maimonides, the Rambam, and all of the others who agree with them, the first commandment is not, I am the Lord your God. It's not even written in the form of a commandment. It's a declarative statement meant to give the document its authority. In the ancient world, especially in and around the Hittites of Canaan, there was a well-known and accepted formula for how agreements were written between rulers and the ruled. First, there needed to be an opening statement that named the ruler who was making the agreement. The opening statement also had to explain what gives that leader the right to make such an agreement. Only then are the rules set out that the people had to follow. That's exactly what we have here. Who's making this agreement with Israel? I am the Lord your God. What gives God the right to make this agreement with Israel? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Only after that introduction do we start to get the rules to be followed. That makes, you shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment, not the second. Our new commandment, number two, then, is, you shall not make for yourself a sculptured or graven image. And number three becomes, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, meaning the graven images. But are these truly commandments? Before we get to that, though, there's another question we need to answer. Did God actually speak all these words to the people? Because if he did, then some people might claim that this is all God said and Moses made up the rest. As we heard earlier, though, the people interrupted God at some point and told Moses to listen to God all by himself. But when did they do that? Did God finish reciting the Ten Commandments before they cut God off? Or was it earlier, during his recitation of the Ten? And what was the next thing God said after Moses approached the thick cloud where God was, as the Torah put it? Let's listen to some of what's said in the opening lines of the Ten Commandments, and I'm adding some words back that I took out earlier. God spoke all these words, saying, I, the Lord, am your God. You shall have no other gods before me, for I, the Lord, your God, am an impassioned God. Those who reject me Those who love me and keep my commandments. I, me, my. All of this is said in the first person. Clearly, God is the speaker of these words. Then comes this verse. You shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not clear one who swears falsely by his name. Suddenly, God is spoken of in the third person. His name, not my name. And we stay in the third person for the rest of that document. The text itself is telling us that the people interrupted God almost as soon as He began speaking. From the swearing falsely commandment on, the people are hearing the words as they're coming from Moses' mouth. They didn't hear God say them. True, the Torah gives us the entire text of the Ten Commandments before it tells us of the interruption. But that's only because it doesn't want to interrupt the flow of the preamble itself. It's clear from the uninterrupted written text, however. When the actual interruption took place, it took place almost immediately after God began speaking. Now that we've established that, let's look a little more closely at the Ten Commandments to see what this document actually says. To think of the Ten Commandments as a religious document is so very wrong. If anything, only the first four appear to be religious in nature, but appearances can be deceiving and they are deceiving here. These first four are not to believe in another God, not to make graven images, not to take God's name in vain, and to keep Shabbat holy. Admittedly, they all sound religious in nature. Prohibiting the worship of other gods surely is a religious commandment, but there's a very interesting, albeit hair splitting, twist that puts this into the maybe religious, maybe not, column. God doesn't say, I am the Lord your God, you must believe in me, only me, and in no other God. That would be an outright religious commandment, and one an atheist, for example, would reject, that's not good enough. A constitution and its preamble are something everyone has to accept. God doesn't say, you must believe in me. He doesn't say it here, and he doesn't say it in the Book of the Covenant, or in any other place in the Torah. Moses says it a few times, but God never says it. There's a big difference between you must believe in me and you can't believe in anyone else. Not to believe in any other god is something even an atheist can accept. An atheist has no intention of believing in any god, period. But an atheist in Israel still needs to follow the laws of Israel. If you're a citizen of the United States or Canada, for example, you have to follow the laws of the United States or Canada even if you don't agree with those laws, or didn't vote for the people who made them into laws. So this is a somewhat religious commandment, maybe, or maybe not. The statement about graven images is clearly religious in nature. Spin it any way you want, and believe me, I've tried. It remains religious. Not taking God's name in vain sounds religious, true. But actually it has, or at least it originally had, a very secular moral reason for being before people twisted it out of shape. What it really means is, don't use God's name to trick someone into believing a lie, to defraud someone. In ancient times, people would invoke the name of a god as a guarantee of something, with the theory being that the person being given that guarantee expects the god who was invoked to zap the invoker if he or she was lying. That makes this commandment the ancient equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval. Not taking God's name in vain is a secular commandment, not a religious one. Then comes the Sabbath commandment. Listen to its words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female slave, nor your cattle, nor even the stranger who's within your settlements. To be sure, not working on a particular day because God said so is religious, but that's not actually what's being said here. The statement not only forbids us from working on Shabbat, which I concede is imposing a religious obligation, but it also forces us to give everyone else, the same day off, no matter who or what they are. 3,500 years ago, this statement regarding Shabbat told us, and everyone else, that for one-seventh of our entire lives, coming one day out of every seven, we have to acknowledge that no one human being has any real control over any other life form on this planet human or otherwise. Rich or poor, master or slave, man or woman, parent or child, human or animal, from the creepiest crawlers to the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, everyone has an equal right to the same day of rest each week, and no one has the right to take that away from them. People who own slaves have absolute control over those slaves. Slavery can't exist without that absolute control. Deny the slave owner control over his slaves for one-seventh of the time coming every seventh day, and you deny that such control exists at all. Eventually, slavery would just disappear. At least that was the hope. Also, by implication here and by extension from laws that flow from here into the Book of the Covenant and from there into the rest of the Torah, Even the earth gets its Sabbath off. We can't work the field or garden on Shabbat because we're not permitted to do any creative work of any kind on Shabbat. And we have to give the land a whole year off once every seven years. So this isn't a religious commandment. It's the ultimate statement of social equality and environmental protection, with perhaps just a trace of religion. As for the remaining commandments, they're all secular. Honor parents, Don't commit willful murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal from anyone, don't try to cause harm to anyone by committing perjury, don't even think about wanting what someone else has because it could lead you to do bad things. This isn't a religious document, it's a preamble to a set of laws. And just like the preamble to the Constitution, this preamble sets the tone for what's to follow it in the Book of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments are part of a larger package, the Book of the Covenant which itself is part of an even larger package called the Torah. 613 commandments, supposedly, but certainly not just 10. The Torah is part of a larger package too, the oral law. And the oral law is part of the largest package of all, the body of Jewish law that developed out of all that came before it in what we call the halakhic process. That this is just the beginning of the laws, and not the entirety of the law we see in the Torah itself as I read earlier, after the Book of the Covenant is read to the people and is accepted by them, we have this verse. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the stone tablets and the Torah and the mitzvah that I have written for you to teach them. In other words, you've got the framework, Moses. Now come up and get the rest of it. These political arguments over whether to put up monuments with the Ten Commandments on them miss the whole point of what that document is – a mainly secular document outlining a whole body of Torah law that in itself is mainly secular in nature. God wants us to observe all his moral and ethical codes, not just what's in the preamble to his laws. The Ten Commandments are worthless by themselves. If that's all someone thinks is necessary, then that someone is way off the mark that God set for humanity. This is Rabbi Shammai Omeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear from you about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shamai S-H-A-M-M-A-I, www.shammai.org, and email me, please. Shabbat Shalom, stay healthy, and stay safe.